Nathan Wilson's new Southern Garden Show is on the air. Your host, Nathan Wilson, with Lanier Nursery and Gardens in Flowery Branch, Georgia, is excited about providing information every gardener and non-gardener, homeowner, and apartment dweller can use. From vegetables to containers and compost to pruning shears, Nathan Wilson's new Southern Garden Show is here for you. Now here's Nathan. Well, good morning, gang, and welcome to my favorite day of the week. That's Saturday, because I have the opportunity to join you in the New Southern Garden to help you find some inspiration, maybe some encouragement as you go into the garden. Sometimes it's intimidating. Sometimes we, we need that encouragement I'm talking about. And so we're just wrapping up last week. We, we rather last week we wrapped up our discussion on pruning. It was all about pruning for the past couple of weeks. And the reason I thought that was a good topic for this time of year is because we're getting close to the beginning of pruning season. So let me just remind you. Let me just remind you that our pruning season starts when plants start growing. And our pruning season stops about six weeks before plants stop growing. So we want to be doing our pruning during the growing season. From somewhere about April, you know, springtime, it's hard to put spring on a calendar date. But you've got to be watching the weather. So when spring starts coming, that's when we start pruning. And sometime around Labor Day, which is roughly six weeks before our average first frost for the year, that's when we want to do our pruning. But if you missed our discussion on pruning, well, you don't have to cry about it. You can go check it out online at NewSouthernGarden.com. You can find it on the podcasting apps on your smartphone or devices. And it's a good way to catch up if you happen to sleep in or maybe you've been away on a a trip, been out of town. But if you are out of town, let me remind you, because it's been a while since I've reminded you, if you go out of town, you can still listen to all the great programming here on WRWH on the TuneIn app. It's very simple. You don't have to have a radio. You don't have to be uh, near our community. You can still listen to all your favorite shows when you're traveling on the TuneIn app. It's a free app. You can download it to your phone, to your smart device, wherever, uh, however you do. As long as you have access to the internet, you will be able to listen to WRWH anytime, uh, anywhere. So check that out. This week, you know, I promised you last week, because usually the last Saturday of the month, we're answering your questions. Well, I was right in the middle of talking about pruning and I wanted to finish that and wrap it up so it's fresh on our minds. And so I promised you that this week we would be talking about your questions, giving them answers. 
So I appreciate all of all of you folks who have uh, gone to the website, NewSouthernGarden.com. Uh, you've sent us uh, questions on the Contact Us page, and also some of you have sent out questions and pictures on Facebook and Instagram. And those are great places. Those are really great places to uh, join in this community of gardening friends uh, that even though we're not, you know, maybe not, on the same street like neighbors we still can share with each other all the cool things or the disastrous things <laughs> that are going on in our landscapes so again you can get in touch with the show at newsoutherngarden.com and also facebook and instagram so let's go ahead and just uh, jump right in i sort of feel like this morning i need to give a garden rant but i'm going to restrain myself uh, a lot of things happening of course with the nursery and trying to get into spring because even though uh, spring is not here we're not getting as much traffic that we normally have spring will be here sooner than later so there's a lot of things that, that is going on we've had a lot of uh, repairs and things uh, maintenance issues that really were weather induced when we had the ice storm our plants were safe but some of our structures out here had to have some attention and uh, repairs so you know I've not been in a good way per se trying to catch up where we've been destroyed with this weather, uh, trying to catch all that up, as well as doing the normal things that have got to get done for spring sales and spring shopping season at the nursery. Uh, but I'm just going to put all that aside. There's a short little garden rant for you. I would rather get to your questions. So let's open the mailbag. Let's open the mailbox and see what's going on. So Carol is in Cleveland. Thank you for your message here. Uh, and Carol says, I'm afraid that this winter weather has ruined, maybe killed, many plants in my garden. Can you give me some tips for working with Mother Nature in my landscape? Well, that is a good topic of concern right now. Basically, this is what we call winter-wise gardening. Or rather, weather-wise, weather-wise gardening, because winter can be a tough time for plants, but also, uh, depending on where you're planting in your landscape, sun, shade could be problems as well. Summer is usually another disastrous time in the garden, the landscape, but it all comes down to putting the right plant in the right place, which of course is the old-fashioned saying, but it still rings true very much today. So the very first thing, Carol, that I would recommend you consider is your climate within your zone. Consider the climate that's within your zone. Now, you're in Cleveland, you're here very close to where uh, I garden, a little bit north, but we generally, uh, in our area, are, are zone 7. Some folks are zone 7B, and some, uh, you may be in zone 7A, which is the upper side, the cooler side of zone 7. But uh, regardless, you can check that map out online at USDA. So just Google USDA zone hardiness map, and They've got a really good interactive map, so you can zoom in and see your street, maybe even see your house, you know. You can find exactly what zone your little piece of property is, uh, and, you know, it could be that part of your uh, part of your property is in one zone and part is in another. There's no real defined straight lines when it comes to zones. It's really following the contour of the landscape, of the, of the, uh, the lay of the land, if you will, and Zones can be, uh, even though we're in the same area, 
Some of our uh, folks in the north side of here, much cooler than folks who are growing and gardening in the south. So know your zone because that zone is going to tell you which kinds of plants you can plant safely. Now, the USDA hardiness zone map takes into consideration the winter weather. Okay, it has nothing to do with the heat. It has nothing to do with summer, really. It's all about the cold temperatures. You know, houseplants in our area, they're tropicals. But if you go way down into Miami, down into Mexico and South America, those tropicals are very likely to be growing outside in certain zones. So USDA zone hardiness map is a great uh, helpful resource for you to determine what kind of plants you should be growing. Then when you go, well, let me back up. Once you've determined your zone, go shopping for plants. When you're shopping for plants and you know what zone you're working in, you can look on the plant tag, you can pull up uh, information on the internet or ask the folks who are uh, running the nursery or garden center what hardiness zone this is for. Now, a local gardening center, a local garden center or local nursery, they're more likely to be selling plants that grow well in our area. That's exactly what we do at Lanier Nursery and Gardens. We do have some tropical plants, but we keep them separate from the hardy plants, plants that can handle the cool weather that we have uh, in, in the winter. And so with that in mind, not all plants are equal. And just because, you know, the big box stores, uh, just because they put, say, a chef Lara or a peace lily on a shelf or a rack with azaleas and roses doesn't mean that they can be grown in the same place. So the very first thing uh, to summarize is to remember and find out your USDA hardiness zone. Now, you also need to determine what your plants need. Now, this comes down to the sort of individual plants. You know, some plants, the amount of heat they get, the amount of lights they get, that's an, that's an important factor for a plant's growth and performance. Now, even though a plant is supposed to do well in your hardiness zone, remember that a plant still needs a specified amount of sunlight. They need a certain amount of sunlight. So, uh, You've got cloudy cover, you've got rainy days, and uh, sh the shade in your garden, uh, if it doesn't give you the right amount of light, then it may be difficult for some of those plants to perform in that site. Now, remember that the house that you live in, if you're doing landscaping around your house, the house you live in is going to create a certain amount of shade. You will notice that the northern side of your house there is probably always a, a strip of soil, strip of planting area that is completely in the shade from the sun, from the house all day long. So that area would be very indirect light, pretty much deep shade because the house is not like a tree. It's not filtered. It's a solid structure. So the north side is very shady. The east side is going to have morning sun and then the house will shade it in the afternoon. I will say that that side of the house is quite ideal for almost anything. The eastern side and perhaps the southern side to some degree, almost anything could grow. But if you need a little more shade, if you need, if a plant's needs require it to have a, a sort of a shady afternoon, 
the eastern side is great. So the southern side, again, you're going to get sun all day, but it's not as intense as the western side. So let's talk about the western side. The western side, uh, you're going to have some shade in the morning, but that doesn't really matter because the afternoon is going to be full-on sun slaughter. It's going to be shining, bright, and intense on the western side. Again, the sun rises in the east, and it sets in the west. Now, when you're determining how much sunlight and shade you're getting, you can't really determine it this, t- determine it this time of year. You've got to determine the summer sun. Where is the sun in the summer? Over winter, we know that the sun is uh, dropping very low in the sky. And it still moves east to west, but at a low angle. So that's very important because over winter, plants don't really need so much sun. The sun doesn't matter so much. They're not really growing. Most plants, you know, drop their leaves. You do have those evergreen plants, but you'll notice they don't really grow. Well, they might if we have a spurt of 70 degrees for a few days. But regardless, when you're determining the amount of sun or shade in a certain area, you've got to do it at the height of summer. You know, June 21st, the summer solstice, is a good time to get an idea of the kind of sun you have in these certain areas. And once you determine how much sun or shade a site gets, then you can better make a decision or make a better decision on where to place these beautiful plants that you're going out and purchasing and bringing home to really, uh, really enjoy your garden and your landscape. Now, I do want to mention a little bit. This would be like a third tip, okay? Because there's a lot of things we could talk about, but we are coming up on a break. And there's, you know, when you're planting or deciding where to put a plant, you know, you've got to remember that they need certain amounts of soil, certain kind of soil, certain kind of moisture, etc. But the plants themselves, you can use plants that are extremely adapted to our climate in our area. And those plants we generally call native plants. Of course, native plants are plants that are found here. You know, God put them here. They weren't imported from China. They weren't brought in from South America or Africa. No, they grew up, they've they've changed, and they've adapted to our North American climate. Those are native plants. Now, native plants need things just like Chinese plants, just like European plants. But for the most part, because uh, if, Carol, your question is, is about your climate and how do you work with Mother Nature? Well, using these native plants, you see, they are already excited, if you will, about growing in our climate, in your climate. So when you're going to the nurseries, when you're going to the garden centers, be sure to check out some of the native plants. Plants that were grown here, have been growing here since plants have existed, I guess, uh, those are the plants that you can put in those sites that may not be quite too conducive or or easy uh, for more difficult plants. All right, gang, when we get back from this break, a little bit more, and we're going to answer your questions. Hey gang, do you sometimes feel like you are riding a lonely trail while gardening, all alone with no one to join in the fun? Well, join the new Southern Garden community today and find peace of mind by sharing your experiences, whether they be poor ones or successful ones. New Southern Garden is on Facebook and Instagram, so I'd love for you to friend, follow, like, share whatever it is we're doing these days. Also, you can check out our website at NewSouthernGarden.com. 
where you can not only find every episode of the show ever, but you can also send us a question via our Contact Us page. It's never fun gardening alone, so get social with the New Southern Garden family and let's grow well. Well, gang, we are answering your questions this morning. This is uh, basically our January Q&A week. I know we are a week behind, but we really had to finish talking up about pruning because pruning season is on the way, and it is definitely headed uh, in our direction. So if you've missed any of the past shows, actually, let me go ahead and re-mention that you can listen to any shows uh, that you might have missed on the website at NewSouthernGarden.com. You can, answer, you can ask a question there on the Contact Us page, and many of you have done that this past month, and so we're very glad that you are excited about gardening and growing things. So before the break, we were discussing Carol's question. Now, Carol's in Cleveland, so she's working with the climate uh, that we are. Uh, basically, me, I'm a little south of Cleveland, but still very similar zone. Uh, probably just a bit cooler in the winter uh, in Cleveland than me. So with that in mind, we've been trying to answer the question about uh, how does she work with Mother Nature? It sounds like uh, poor Carol has had some winter weather damage, ruined, maybe killed some of her plants. And we've already discussed some reasons or some ways that you can prevent that from happening. But there is a couple of things that I want to remind you. When you are planting your plants, uh, Remember that the north side is not just a shadier side because of the house, but the north side tends to stay cooler. Now, if you live very far north, if you're listening out of state above us, or uh, if you're just far north in the Georgia mountains here, that the uh, you got to remember that stay away from those north-facing slopes for a lot of gardening practices. It gets less sun, like I said, it's shadier, but it's cooler than the other areas in the landscape. And usually uh, northern slopes, they can stay moist. They may drain well, but they may stay moist. And then, of course, uh, we noticed this recently, but the north-facing areas, if there's snowfall, the snow lingers there much longer. But uh, if, if you're even further down towards, uh, you know, uh, uh, the low half of Zone 7, then the northern slope uh, might just be a great spot for some of your plants. They'll need less water because it stays a bit moist, and they'll stay cooler in the summer. But of course, if it's a dramatic winter, it could be a problem. Now, the last thing is wind can be a problem. And I want to let Carol know that uh, if you have some windy problems, I'll tell you that out at the nursery, at Lanier Nursery and Gardens, where you can find me throughout the week, I swear it is probably uh, the... the uh, the windiest place in North Georgia, at least uh, the county we're in. But regardless, we have to battle this wind. But how do you do that? Well, you can create windbreaks. You want to make sure uh, that you plant thick, bushy plants that get tall uh, to capture some of the wind that may be causing some damage, particularly over winter when you have cold temperatures and moisture and heavy wind or high winds you can see a lot of desiccation drying out of some plant materials leaves and plant materials stems. So in the spring, when your plant starts to put out leaves and the tips are all died back, 
That was probably due to the combination of cool, wet, and windy. But creating a windbreak will help uh, with the kind of low pressure that usually happens uh, this time of year. So, uh, Carol, I do appreciate your question, and I hope that I don't, you know, I don't know exactly what kind of plants you might have had trouble with or what kind of uh, specific problems you may have had. But in general, these are some tips, some ideas that you can use. It's all about knowing where you're growing, knowing the plant you're growing, and of course, knowing how to grow it. <laughs> and creating those windbreaks, not planting in low places, low places or valleys uh, or uh, uh, what do they call them? Like gutters, you know, whatever. low divots in the soil, low spaces. Those can stay cooler, too. So, again, knowing what you're growing, knowing where you're growing and knowing how to grow it is going to really help you out. So we appreciate your uh your question, Carol, and we hope that if uh, you know you, you start using some of these tips, you let us know how it goes for you. Well, let's go towards the Atlanta area. Jackie says, um, well, I've been listening to the uh, show via the podcast, so we appreciate you listening online. Uh, but Jackie says, I've always wanted to grow an herb garden, but I'm a bit scared, a bit too scared. What herbs are easy to grow for a beginner? Well, herbs can be quite easy, uh, but I understand your fears and your feelings that uh, can be a bit intimidating. So I do have a nice list ready for you of some herbs that are very easy to grow. Now, let's talk about what herbs really are first. So herbs is a general term we use for plants that are grown and uh, trimmed back or harvested, foliage, stems are harvested, maybe the flowers are harvested, maybe the fruits are harvested, uh, to use in cooking, you know, spices, things like that. Now, the, the word herb really means a green plant, a uh, herbaceous plant, if you will, something that's not too woody, but something that is very green and lush. So, in the general sense, a lot of your plants in the garden are herbs. But usually, when we talk about herbs, we mean they have a purpose, a specified purpose to be harvested, grown and harvested, or collected to be used in cooking or flavoring as spices. So with that being said, let me give you, Jackie, just a, a, a few herbs that, um, that I like to grow and that I've found to be quite easy. Now, the, one of the first ones is basil. Now, basil is a summer herb. Basil, and a lot of these do like the warmer weather, but there are some that can handle cool weather. But basil likes it hot. It actually is quite a, um, a, a tropical plant. I do believe, if I remember right, that it comes from like South America, down that way, Central America. But it is an annual up here. Because it likes it hot, it's not hardy. It is not, basil is not hardy one bit in our climate. Now, you'd have to, to keep a plant alive. You'd have to uh, overwinter. You'd have to bring it indoors, put it in a greenhouse, keep it very warm. So with that being said, Jackie, if you want to grow basil, be sure that you're planting it uh, after the last frost in spring, early part of spring. We don't want any frost or chances of frost showing up because that would definitely uh, burn back or freeze back, I should say, your basil plants. But they do like, because they are this tropical uh, sort of rainforest plant, actually, they like rich, well-drained soil. We don't want to keep this herb too wet but it can handle more moisture than some of the Mediterranean herbs that I'll mention uh, in a minute. 
Now, basil, if you're not familiar with it, it, it could become a knee-high plant, uh, depending on the variety that you have. They may have green leaves. Some of them have purple leaves. And uh, they do produce a flower spike, which could be white to purple. Uh, so they're very pretty plants. And I tell you what, you crush the leaves or you just walk by basil and let your blue jeans or your legs knock it around. And boy, the fragrance is released. It smells great. Now, of course, basil is used in a lot of ways but it does help that the leaves can help add a spicy taste to your eggs or your omelet. You can use them with cheese, and they partner very well with tomato dishes. Now, this is not a cooking show, so I'm not going into the details but uh, of, of using basil in your cooking. But I will tell you that there's not much, let's see, there's, there's nothing really better than a slice of tomato, a slice of mozzarella cheese with some basil on top. Very good. And Again, very easy to grow. Now, with that being said, let's talk about a perennial herb. A perennial herb. This is chives. You may be familiar with chives. They smell like onions. But they can handle growing in the summer, and they can handle growing through winter, and they'll be green. They'll be, they'll be present. Uh, but they, you can plant them to get started in spring. So, Jackie, get ready. Put chives on your list. You can grow them from seed, which uh, doesn't take too long, actually. But you can also buy the plants ready to go and be transplanted into your landscape. Now, you got to remember that these um, chives, they sort of resemble clumps of tall grass or onions because they are related to onions and they when they bloom they do have a beautiful sort of a purple pink flower it's very very pretty but uh, the foliage of course is very strap like and quite um, uh, grass like if you will so with all that being said definitely chives are an easy one to go with what can you do with that well you can uh, use it like you would onions put it in your soup Put it in cheese and eggs, just like you did with your basil. Chives add that nice, it adds that nice spicy onion flavor uh, that we all, well, I don't know if we all love it, but I do. All right, gang, when we get back, we're going to give Jackie a few more herbs that she definitely needs to grow this year. Stories untold come to life. Nathan Wilson's new Southern Garden Show is on the air. Your host, Nathan Wilson, with Lanier Nursery and Gardens in Flowery Branch, Georgia, is excited about providing information every gardener and non-gardener, homeowner, and apartment dweller can use. From vegetables to containers and compost to pruning shears, Nathan Wilson's new Southern Garden Show is here for you. Now here's Nathan. All right, gang, we are answering your questions today here on New Southern Garden. This is our Q&A week. We're one, one week behind, but that's all right because we uh, are going to answer the, as many questions as we can, as many as we can get to. We're already halfway over through the show getting that way. And so I just want to give as much time and attention as I can um, to make sure that we are helping you with the problems, uh, maybe uh, encouraging for success in your landscape. I hope that you know the show's giving you some inspiration, some ideas, and of course information and knowledge about becoming a better gardener, growing, growing better, growing well. Uh, but we know problems happen. You got to remember we're dealing with Mother Nature, we're dealing with living organisms, 
Plants are living organisms as much as you and me, as much as your kids, as much as your parents. And sometimes we get sick. Sometimes our kids get sick. But there are things that we can do in both gardening and our own lives <laughs> to help prevent getting sick, but also to care uh, and treat any kind of illness that may come around. And so before the break, we actually weren't talking about illnesses or diseases. We we're talking about growing herbs because Jackie, who's been listening to New Southern Garden in Atlanta uh, over the podcast, well, she is a bit intimidated about growing herbs. She's always wanted an herb garden, and it sounds like she's going to do it this year. Before I tell you a few more plants, Jackie, I want to encourage you that you can do it this year, and you should do it this year. But I'm going to give you a few more herbs that will help ease you into it, help you ease into it. Generally, herbs are quite easy, but you know, as with all kind of gardening and cultivating things, we might get a little... Um, little timid about it and that's okay so we've already talked about basil that was that's an easy one to grow but it likes it hot it likes it hot the roots need to stay moist not wet but that those plants can be started from seed probably around april 15th or whenever the last frost has passed us and of course we talked about chives now chives are probably one of those herbs you know the gift that keeps on giving if you will <laughs> Once you get a nice chive patch started, it's going to be hard to contain it. So chives, because they're perennial, uh, they sort of grow all year long. Now, they slowly grow over winter, maybe not even grow much, but they do survive. If we have those nice warm days for a few uh, days at a time, uh, that will encourage chives to grow. But they can be started from seed. They can also be started from transplants. But you want to make sure you plant them initially, probably in spring, as the soil is starting to warm up. Now, I do want to mention sort of a two-in-one here. Uh, this two-in-one is dill and fennel. Okay, now they're, they're, they're related as far as their uh, heritage goes they're in the same family of plants but they are quite different but they're both fairly easy dill let's start with that one so dill is an annual it it uh, is planted in the spring you use the dill leaves the flowers whatever part of the plant you're using you use them all summer long and then of course when the winter hits and the frost comes they die back completely so that plant the dill plant is strictly annual I don't know, did I say perennial first? Well, they're annuals. Now, fennel, on the other hand, sometimes we can confuse fennel and dill, even though their flavor and somewhat apparent, the, the appearance is, is what's similar. The flavor is quite different. But the fennel is a perennial. So you can plant uh, fennel this spring, and it should come back and, and return year after year. As a matter of fact, we uh, grow a bronze fennel at Lanier Nursery and Gardens, where you can find me throughout the week, we grow a bronze fennel, which has a sort of purple, bronzy-colored foliage, a nice uh, leaf. Okay, so those leaves, you know, very airy and light. Uh, they look like a feather almost. They're so, they're so tiny. Uh, but that goes well with big leaf plants, even in the ornamental garden. 
You can plant any of these herbs alongside flowering plants, shrubs, bushes. As long as they're uh, uh, as long as they're placed appropriately, they can grow with uh, within your existing landscape. You don't have to have just a section for these herbs. So the dill and the fennel both need to be planted probably after the first frost, but uh, springtime, early spring. Now dill could be as tall as your waist. It has these feathery green leaves and those tiny small flowers that are all clustered together. Whereas the fennel could have green leaves, they could have bronze leaves, they could have purple leaves, like our bronze fennel at the nursery. They too, when they bloom, will have similar looking yellow flowers. Uh, But with that being said, you know, dill can be used uh, with cooking anything, maybe fish, uh, fish dishes, but of course... We love to use dill to make homemade pickles. And I'll tell you, uh, I do make some homemade pickles from the tiny little pickles that are cucumbers that we grow in the spring. Harvest your cucumbers young so they'll fit inside of a mason jar, you know, so they're not too long. I usually uh, quarter them like spears. Pack them into mason jars, pour vinegar and salt over them, throw in a spice, a, 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 a dash of dill, a, a couple of leaves of dill, shake it up, mix it up. Of course, you got to put the top on, put it in the icebox, <laughs> put it in the refrigerator. And in really just a few hours, you sort of have this icebox pickle. Now, they're not going to last forever. You know, it's not properly canned. Whenever you're canning, whatever you're bringing in, you want to be sure that you're doing it right. But that is one way that you can utilize dill and cucumbers that you're growing in your garden. It's quick, it's easy, uh, and delicious, really. Now, fennel, like I said, fennel and dill look similar, but their taste is quite different. Dill, I don't know of any other way to describe it except dill, (laughs) but fennel tastes more like licorice or anise in flavor. And that, again, could be used with fish and and other dishes, Uh, but some folks will save the fennel seed and they'll add it to their uh, tea. They may add it to bread. And so there's a lot of ways. You don't have to just use the foliage on these plants. You can also use their flowers. You can use their uh, seed pods. And you can have some delicious uh, uh, delicious dishes. But what's even more delicious, in my opinion, is that these two plants, the dill and the fennel, are absolutely wonderful for easy herbs to get started with. Now, Let's talk about garlic, because garlic is sometimes not considered an herb, but it is used as an herb. Uh, there's only a few dishes, a few dishes I'm aware of, where garlic is the main course or garlic is the main substance on the plate. Plate usually we're using garlic as a flavor, as a spice. Now, garlic is perennial. And it creates those bulbs underground, which we call garlic cloves and whatnot. So um, if, if if, 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 if you are in a zone where your ground freezes. Usually our area up here, uh, Northeast Georgia, doesn't, it doesn't freeze. The ground doesn't freeze. We don't stay cold enough, long enough for the soil to get so cold that it freezes. But there's a chance, uh, maybe in the higher altitudes, that that could happen. But definitely, if you're listening outside of the lower southern range, when you, um, when you plant your garlic will be in the spring, after the ground is thawed out and after the the, uh, uh, terrible winter is over. But really down here, 
where it's much warmer and our soil may stay at its lowest. It may be in the 45 degree Fahrenheit range. That's still very warm. You can start your garlic in the autumn. We just need to plant it in a sort of moist but well-drained soil. We don't want it too wet, but we still want and need some of that moisture. Now, you'll know that uh, the garlic plant looks like an onion. It's got those long, sort of flat green leaves. Looks like a, uh, a, a grass. But they do produce usually a white flower, maybe some purple, maybe some pink, but usually white flowers. Now, of course, garlic, how can you use it? Well, they're in pretty much every Italian dish. So you can use your fresh garlic to make a spaghetti or lasagna. Uh, and, and it sort of comes with a sense of pride when you're using your own spices in your cooking. You know, there's one thing about using your own vegetables, your squash, your tomatoes, your cucumbers. That's one thing. But I think that there's a a sense of pride, (laughs) even more so, when you're bringing in your uh, herbs to the kitchen. And, oh, don't forget garlic bread. Whenever you make an Italian dish, you got to have garlic bread. So grow the garlic and then bake the bread. All right, let's talk about the uh, lemon balm. Lemon balm is an easy one because it's in the mint family. And I should probably go ahead and group peppermint in this in, in this list, uh, spearmint in this list. There's chocolate mint. There are so many different types of mint, and they are quite easy. Now, mint, any of the mints, lemon balm, peppermint, whatever, uh, you can plant them in the spring because they are generally, for the most part, the mints are all perennial. They will fill an area very quickly. They will grow fast. So if you uh, use a lot of lemon balm or mint, spearmint, you will have plenty. You will have plenty of it. If you don't use much of it, you may want to start by growing these uh, mint family plants in containers. Because when they're in a container, you can control their growth and it won't be nearly as difficult to, to weed them out. Because yes, you may put them on one side of the path this year, but by year two or three, you will find they're on the other side of the path. They move very quickly. So if you don't need a lot of mint, be sure to keep it in a container. Uh, being perennial, they'll come back every year. So that's a benefit for you, Jackie. Knowing that uh, it's easy to grow, you plant it one time and don't have to do too much to it except harvest and trim the leaves and give it some feed. Very easy to grow. Now, let's talk about the lemon balm. Lemon balm is nice because it does have a lemon flavor. It does have a lemony taste. So if you don't have lemon and you're in a pinch, but you want to flavor your sweet tea, if you want to flavor your sweet tea with the lemon, you can use lemon balm as opposed to a true fresh lemon, the, the fruit. Lemon balm is a good replacement for any of those uh, those quite fruity uh, f- citrus taste, you know, put it in your cooking uh, as you would lemons, maybe even on a salad could throw uh, some sprigs on a salad. Now, I do want to talk about rosemary because rosemary is a very interesting plant, in my opinion. Rosemary is Mediterranean. Rosemary comes from that, that part of the world where it's hot, like we are, but it's dry. It's a dry heat. It's not a uh, wet heat like we have, a moist heat. And so rosemary has no problem with growing in our climate, 
except we don't want rosemary to sit in water. We don't want the roots to become waterlogged because they don't like that uh, wet soil, because they need more on the dry side. Be sure to plant rosemary in a large container because rosemary over time can get quite large depending on the type you're growing. But also, uh, if you're planting it in the ground, be sure you're planting it proud. And if you've listened to the program before, you know that I've mentioned that planting proud is where we mound soil up around the root ball rather than plant it all the way down in the earth. So dig a shallow hole and add soil around the exposed root ball, mulch it well, and the rosemary will find its way, its roots will find its way into that top few inches that is not too dry, not too wet, and it will be happy and healthy. Of course, Rosemary is a perennial. Rosemary is a perennial. It's more like a shrub, actually. And with that in mind, it looks great in the landscape. It's got tiny, thin leaves that are silvery, bluish green, if you will. And because of the small leaves and that gray foliage color, it can really stand out against some of your other more basic green plants. It also looks good with yellow plants and purple plants like Laura Pedlum. So use it for texture and use it for color in the garden, but use it in the kitchen. We'll be back with more on these herbs. Hey gang, it's Nathan. Thanks so much for listening to the New Southern Garden Podcast. Of course, I love providing you with horticultural information to get you growing and growing well. But sometimes you need more than just information. You need plants. So I'd love for you to join me at Lanier Nursery and Gardens in Flowery Branch, Georgia, where you can find me throughout the week. But you can find more than just me, of course. At Lanier Nursery and Gardens, you can browse through our wide selection of ornamental trees, glorious shrubs, and colorful perennials and annuals. And I want to thank all our listeners who have already made the trek to Lanier Nursery. It's been a pleasure to meet you and hear your gardening stories. We've got a wonderful crew of folks who are just itching to help you grow your best garden ever. So check out LanierNurseryGardens.com for more information and be sure to like us on Facebook and Instagram. Now let's get growing together. Gang, well, before the break, we were actually talking about rosemary. You know, most folks know rosemary. It's that very fragrant, uh, very fragrant shrub that tastes really good, <laughs> especially when you use the foliage uh, on a piece of chicken, rosemary herb chicken. I don't know. It sounds good to me. But herbs, it's one of my favorite herbs to grow because they're relatively easy. And on top of that, they look great. They look beautiful. You can put them in your landscape just like you would an azalea or a gardenia. They have a unique texture. It's very fine, small little leaves, and the leaves are actually quite colorful. They're not your regular green. No, they're sort of an ashy blue color. And then, of course, they have uh, little lavender purple flowers when they're blooming. And those, those flowers are very attractive to pollinators. So you can use this particular plant, the rosemary plant, in your pollinator garden. Uh, let the uh, let the insects eat on it as far as butterflies and bees go, and then let yourself eat on it. Go ahead and use it. But again, just to summarize, 
Uh, rosemary does not like wet feet. It needs to be in some well-draining soil. And you can plant it in spring, but really you can plant it any time of the year. Our rosemary at the nursery looks absolutely gorgeous right now. And it's the middle of winter. They're not really blooming, of course, but the plants look great. All right, so the last little plant I want to talk about is thyme. You know, rosemary and thyme. It's part of that old song. But the thyme, of course, I'm not talking about T-I-M-E, T-H-Y-M-E. So I better hurry up before we run out of thyme. But it is a perennial plant as well. Just like rosemary, uh, just like the fennel we talked about, using thyme is easy because... You don't have to plant it more than once for several years. You can definitely uh, sow it in spring if you want to start the seeds, or you can find uh, plants at your local nursery or garden center. And they too, like rosemary, would rather be in a a free-draining soil. You can actually use a bit of sandy soil. Or if you have sandy soil in a certain garden spot that doesn't hold on to a lot of water, well, that's okay. Maybe other plants won't grow there, but thyme can. It's a very low-growing plant. It's quite woody, just like rosemary. But it, too, can have some grayish green leaves. It's very pretty. Uh, And flowers. There are some creeping thymes that stay very low. You can use them as a ground cover, uh, but the more traditional thyme is uh, still low-growing woody shrub, and usually uh, they'll have some nice purple lilac-colored uh, flowers. Very nice. Now, thyme works well with poultry or egg dishes. You can use thyme in your stuffings or your... Uh, Oh, what was it my grandmother used to make? It was chicken, not chicken casserole. Uh, it's not stuffing. What is that? What is that word? Well, anyhow, she always made it around Christmas time. I'm sure it'll come to me. And uh, some soups. It does very well in some soups as well. So, Jackie, I know that you've always wanted to do an herb garden, and we appreciate your question asking what what type of herbs are best suited for the beginner well these are definitely some of them Uh, number one of course we talked about basil and then we talked about chives dill and fennel very easy in my opinion garlic very easy any of the mints the lemon balms spearmint uh, those peppermints those types of plants very easy and of course rosemary and thyme rosemary and thyme dressing that's what Granny uh, Nanny called it. It was chicken and dressing. You can use thyme in your dressing. I told you, folks, it would come to me. All right, now, we've got time for one last quick question before the uh, day is over. So let me get that one going here. Now, this question uh, comes from Mary Beth. And Mary Beth, actually, she uh, attended a class that I gave some time back and uh was very pleased so thank you for coming out to that Mary Beth but her question uh, she is has sent us a picture Uh, it's a viburnum a viburnum she planted it two years ago and she says it has developed an alarming condition uh, which is best shown by my photos Uh, can you tell me what ails this shrub if so what can I do about it okay so from the pictures, let me just describe to you what is going on. We do have the leaves of some plants, and on top of them is this thin, paper-like, black layer. Now that is pretty classic for something that I know a lot about. That is called black sooty mold. Black sooty mold. Now that name sounds very scary. 
and whoever named it must have wanted to put the fear of death in us. But black sooty mold is not actually a major problem for your plant, Mary Beth. Black sooty mold, this layer, this thin paper-like layer that flakes off, is actually a sign that you have an insect problem. The black sooty mold is not the problem. The problem is some kind of, um, we call them uh, sucking insects, insects that suck juice out of the leaves. You know, some insects chew the leaves, but some of them just suck the juices out. And so you have some kind of sucking insect, which could uh, be an aphid, it could be white flies, it could be scale. Yeah, it could be scale. Now, what happens is these insects, they suck the juices out for for nutrition, for nourishment, and like all living creatures, there's waste. (laughs) And so they excrete this very uh, highly nutritious, highly delicious for this fungus. They excrete this stuff called honeydew. And the honeydew is very sticky and sugary because it's basically the sugars out of the plant sap. Well, that excrement drops to the top of these leaves and then black sooty mold jumps on, starts devouring the honeydew, and really, that's all it does. This black sooty mold just eats the excrement of these certain insects. I know it's very kind of gross sounding, but that black sooty mold does not get into the plant. It does not get inside of the plant. It doesn't really do damage to the plant. The only kind of damage that it may present is the fact that it's covering the leaf from the sunlight. It is sort of shading the leaf from the sunlight. And that could be a slow problem, but usually if you correct the insect problem, the black sooty mold goes away, what you see is going to flake off, the rain is going to hit it, it's going to wash off, you can actually use uh, sort of a high-powered um, a high-powered uh, spray from your garden hose, <laughs> spray it with some high-powered water, that will help to reduce some of the black sooty mold on the foliage, but otherwise, what really needs to happen is you need to treat your plant for the insect problem. Now, one of the best ways to treat plants for an insect problem, uh, which is an insect that is sucking the juices out of the plant, is to use a systemic. And there are plenty of options, of course, at Lanier Nursery and Gardens, where you can find me throughout the week. We have some bonide products that actually go into the plant. When we say systemic, we mean that the the chemical, the active ingredient goes inside the plant, inside the roots, inside the shoots, inside the leaves. And any bug that tries to suck juices out is not only sucking the sap from the tree, but it's also going to suck out that, that chemistry. It's going to suck out the poison, right? And so those insects will expire. And that should be the main, the main thing you do to solve the black sooty mold problem. Your plants are going to be more damaged by the insects that are sucking the sap out rather than the black sooty mold. So I hope that answers your question, Mary Beth. Thank you for that. And if you have a question, if anybody else has a question for us, feel free to check us out online at NewSouthernGarden.com. NewSouthernGarden.com. We're on Facebook. We're on Instagram. And of course, if you miss a show, we're on the podcasting apps. You can listen on your smart device. Well, this is, uh, my name's Nathan Wilson for New Southern Garden and WRWH. We'll see you next week. Sidewalks and buildings
Hey, thanks for joining us for this edition of Nathan Wilson's New Southern Garden Show. If you have a comment about today's program, you can reach out to Nathan by sending an email to grow at LanierNurseryGardens.com. Also get more information at NewSouthernGarden.com. Join us next Saturday on Local News Radio 93.9 FM and AM 1350 for Nathan Wilson's New Southern Garden Show. 